Welcome to Last First Date Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner. This is episode number 433 with Jolie Hamilton. Is jealousy always bad for a relationship? Hi, everybody. I'm Sandy Weiner. Welcome back to Last First Date Radio, where we believe a woman of value naturally attracts the respect and rewards she deserves in life and love. What is a woman of value? Well, I love this topic so much. I coined the phrase and I wrote a book about it. It's called Becoming a Woman of Value, How to Thrive in Life and Love. And it's filled with 30 tips and exercises to help you step more fully into your value. It's available, it's available on Amazon for Kindle or paperback. Here's, here's what it looks like if you're on video. And this week's tip on becoming a woman of value is be proactive, not reactive. So many times, and I, I think this is going to dovetail nicely into today's topic of jealousy, um, we often are just reactive based on our past, based on our history of how we were brought up and our past relationships and our triggers. And when we can really work on that stuff, we can really process our emotions instead of just <laughs> fight or flight kind of thing. And um, so I just encourage you this week to really look at where you're being reactive and just take a pause, take a breath and ask yourself, is this really true? Is this person really out to get me? Or can I see this in a different way? And look for some other ways you can see the situation. And before I bring Jolie on, I want to invite you, if you're not already a member, to join our Facebook group. It's called Your Last First Date. And this is a really curated group. We do not allow bashing and, and complaining all the time and venting. It's really a group where you can share your challenges and your triumphs in the for the purpose of growth. And it's uh, for women over 40 who are either in a relationship or dating if you want to grow as a woman, come and join us at your last first date. And now for my guest, Dr. Jolie Hamilton. She's a research psychologist and an author. She's a TEDx speaker. She spoke about jealousy. She is an ASECT certified sex educator. And she spent the past two decades balancing a wild entrepreneurial spirit with a deep desire to have a secure, passionate partner. She raised seven kids along the way. We were just discussing <laughs> these amazing children that she has. And she is committed to helping women create sustainable, soul-nourishing nourish relationships without sacrificing their career dreams. Welcome to the show, Jolie. Thank you so much for having me, Sandy. Yeah, I believe we do have quite a fit because your tip today was spot on. That's what I think of as number, number four in my like how to have healthy communication. Gotta be mm. respond, not react. Yeah. Be, uh, be communication. Yeah. So important. <laughs> I mean, it's like really, if we could just do that, master that, you know, communication in all our relationships. Yes. We would be happier. They would be happier. It's like, yeah. and you know, during the pandemic, I had one of my adult children move back in, and she happens to be somebody who reacts a lot. And the navigation of that in the last eight, nine months has been really growth. It's, it's a growth oriented experience for both of us. Yeah. And I, I hear the contempt. I hear the past, like, you don't trust me. You don't, you know, why do you need to tell me this? And so much resistance to actually 
learning and hearing that my intention is good. I love you. So it's just, we've come a long way. And I'm, I'm really grateful for the pandemic throwing us back together at this stage in life, because you don't always get those opportunities with adult totally. children. Totally. Yeah. And all of our relational skills are transferable, right? Like they're, yes. they're not limited to one place. <laughs> Absolutely. So, I mean, jealousy is, is one of them. So let's get to it. Absolutely. How do you define jealousy? So jealousy can be defined really specifically. If you're talking about jealousy as a psychological phenomenon, it's a protective um, reaction to the real or imagined loss of a loved object, a love object. And in we're using the word object here as in um, a, a psychoanalytic sort of love object, the one who will love us and care for us. Now, the important part about that definition is that it can be real or imagined. Jealousy is a feeling that pops up when we imagine an interruption to that love bond or when something real is happening and doesn't actually matter. It's, it's not relevant to your, um, your, that responsive reactive feeling, that gut impulse. It doesn't care whether there's real evidence or not, right? Um, but it's also important to differentiate jealousy from envy because a lot of times people conflate them. Jealousy is a problem of triangles. Jealousy is always about this idea that someone else is interrupting our love bond, either we're for real or imaginally. Um, whereas envy is when we wish we had or were another person. So that's a problem of the dyad. And these are just very different um, experiences for our psyche, for our bodies. It, it, it feels different. So jealousy is about feeling afraid. Jealousy is a, it's a complex emotion. It's, it's fear, it's anger. It can be arousal, which can be very confusing. Um, jealousy is made up of really basic emotions and it can freak us out <laughs> because it's overwhelming. Hmm. Thank you for such a great definition and also clarifying the difference between envy and jealousy. Yeah. I, I know that um, even in career you know, this comes up a lot where somebody feels jealous of somebody's success. Yeah. And I think that's probably more envy, right? Like it is. Yeah. And the good news is that if we work on our jealousy, envy usually gets better too and vice versa. And mm -hmm. so when we're feel, and sometimes they really are confusing because are we envious of the other person or are we afraid that say they got a promotion that we didn't get? And that can feel confusing. Like they're between us and our boss. They're, they're, they're interrupting the affection that we could call it, you know, the, uh, the energy between the two of us. So it can be a very, very fine line. And it's important to know that when we work on one or the other, we're working on both. We don't have to, we don't have to like separate it out and say, oh, well, there'll be a different set of steps. No, they're actually very similar. Yeah, it's that's interesting. And I'm, I see it pop up a lot in my Facebook group where even yesterday somebody announced their engagement and somebody else hijacked the post and said, uh, you know, my ex. Did, and it's like, you know, oh, I wish I had what you have. And it's it's just first of all, it's hijacking. It's really not supportive of the person who just got engaged, but it's like, you know, it's, you're not working on your own processing of what happened to you. And so every time somebody else is happy, you're unhappy for yourself. You're unhappy for them. You're jealous of what they feel. You're envious of their feelings. 
Um, so look, yeah. so what do we do? Jealousy pops up, pops up a lot. Um, what it do you does. suggest people do? Well, so I did a study on jealousy and I, um, I interviewed people who are in polyamorous relationships for this study. And the reason I did this is because they put themselves in the way of jealousy, right? They're going to have to deal with jealousy if they're going to have more than one loving relationship out in the open. It's just there. So that's why I chose that particular container. But the fascinating thing was that they all did something very similar. They all brought jealousy out into the open and talked about it, um, which, you know, it, it kind of goes without saying. I think most of us know that what we talk about, we can we can manage and everything should be talkaboutable, but jealousy can be connected to shame. When we're little, we're often taught that to be jealous is to be shameful. But then we also get taught that when someone is jealous of us or when our lover is jealous, that's a sign that they actually love us. Okay, so we feel all these conflicting emotions. So the four steps that people were taking that was, that was making jealousy really manageable were to start by noticing it, just noticing that jealousy was happening and, and allowing that to be true. Because if you've attached jealousy to a feeling of shame, you might try to disown it and project it out onto other people. And when we do that, we're not working on our side of the street, which means we really can't do anything about what we're seeing. The feeling isn't going to go anywhere because we can't change what's out there. So first we notice it. And the next thing is that they name it. And when I say name it, I mean, they actually get in there and, and get specific about what am I seeing? What is, what is it that I think is making me jealous, right? Because it's not so much making me as it's provoking a certain feeling of this protective hostility and it gets me all confused. And if I pull it apart underneath there, I'm going to see things like anger or arousal or sadness or grief. Grief is buried under jealousy all the time because jealousy feels a little bit better than grief. And I know that sounds maybe a little wild, but it's not. Jealousy has this enlivening effect, whereas grief has a dampening effect. So some people will actually move towards jealousy to deny their grief, deny their anger, deny their sadness. So if they pull apart, they notice it, they name it, they pull it apart and start saying, what's actually going on? And then they work on nurturing compersion, which is an interesting word. <laughs> I'm going to toss it in first. We, we can come back and talk about it more if we want. Um, compersion is a word that was coined back in the 70s that means feeling joy for another person's joy. And so they work on nurturing compersion, not in place of their jealousy, but next to it. Like, okay, I feel jealous and yeah, but I'm happy for my partner. Yeah, but I'm happy for my coworker. They actually have something they want. And I like when people have what they want. So they just work on holding two things to be true at the same time. And then the last thing that they do is they just, they stay with the process and let themselves be who they are in a process of working with their jealousy. They don't run away from it. They know that it's gonna come back again in a new form. They don't disown it or pretend like they're bad because they feel like they wanna hurt someone or they wanna, you know, they, they wanna lash out. They don't, they don't make that about them. They say, oh, I'm having a feeling. And they, they, they own the feeling, not all the fear behind it. Mm. It's not easy. <laughs> People told some pretty, <laughs> Pretty intense stories. Jealousy brings up things like wanting to, you know, throw someone's computer out of a window. 
So <laughs> people do those so, things yeah. all the time. And exactly. You see those so it's not easy. Where they, they throw the clothes out the window and um, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I love these steps though, and I love that you spoke to the polyamorous community. I, I have a friend who's dating somebody who had dated a polyamorous woman, and she said he is such a good communicator because he had to be in that relationship. Yeah. They had to talk about everything. And it's it's fascinating because you know, if you're not polyamorous, you're not really spending a lot of time thinking how to polyamorous people make it work. But right. you've got to put it all on the table. And it yeah, it's interesting. I, I've been watching The Bachelorette with my daughter talk about jealousy yes. and envy. <laughs> and, oh my God, I never really watched any of that because I really couldn't stomach it. But I find it as a dating coach, it's, it's fascinating. Right, it's, a, it's like a case study right out there. Yes, it's an anthropological study. And it's, it's yeah, it's like seeing, okay, what does she want? She wants a man who's bold. Okay, so I'm going to butt in and be obnoxious to be bold and tell on other people. And I'm like, what is this? I wait, don't get it. That's wait. not bold. That's really, that's really weak yeah. and, and yeah. unkind. And so it's like conflating all of those feelings. But um, to get back to jealousy, I mean, which you see all the time in that show, but um, you know, it's, it's very much like how I teach boundaries, you know, notice, yeah. name it, you know, the awareness is always the first piece. Totally. And allowing yeah. is also just so important because we tend to go right to what's wrong with me or what's wrong with them, you know, and it's, it's just to have that just neutral place of um, it's, it's here, what, you know, what is it here to teach me what's underneath it, yeah. you know, and it's just very self-compassionate. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So talk a little more about compersion. I know you talked about it in your TED talk. Um, yeah. Compersion's great. Compersion is an underexplored opportunity that we all have. So compersion popped up in the polyamorous world, but it has ramifications for everyone. When I first taught it to my kids, it gave them something to aim at. And they actually, one of them, the youngest one mentioned to me, he's like, I didn't know that jealousy had an opposite. And so I started actually asking that question what is jealousy's opposite? I started asking it all around. What do you think jealousy's opposite is? And nobody had an answer. You know, I was doing interview after interview of monogamous folks and they're like, well, actually I don't know. So if we don't know what we're aiming at, you know, how, how would we aim at happiness if we didn't know sadness? How would we, you know, there, there are these polarities that happen. But so when we name compersion, which is just feeling joy for another person's joy, feeling happy when they're getting what they want. When we name it and notice it, we can move towards it, but it's not simple. I like to tell people to think about um, the feeling that happens when you watch somebody like enjoying a dessert that you're not having because you don't even like that. Like you don't like ice cream, but you're watching them. You're like, that's awesome. You just, you see the happiness radiating, radiating off of them and you get something from that. Compersion, in my mind, is not an altruistic emotion. Um, and some people might argue with me on that. I think of compersion actually as a way to magnify and, and benefit from other people's joy, right? We, and, and it's a way of sort of raising the bar on joy in the world and like allowing the opportunity for building more um, excitement and interest because we see our partners be happy. It's, 
really an unheard of idea to be happy when our partners are happy, even if it doesn't include us. But I think at core, we do understand it. We, it feels like something we were taught when we were very young, like, right, I'm supposed to be happy when someone else is getting what they want. But then along come all of the rom-coms and all the bachelorettes and all of the, <laughs> on all of the songs that tell us things like the Beatles sang to us, I'd rather see you dead little girl than to be in the arms of another man. Right? Like, and this is that's supposed to be a romantic <laughs> song, right? But that's supposed to be a terribly romantic song. And there are thousands of them. I actually stopped counting songs about jealousy because it's everywhere. Um, Dr. Maya Angelou said it best. She said, jealousy is, is good but it's like salt and food, a little bit enhances the savor, too much spoils the dish. It should be very carefully titrated, right? If you're gonna play with jealousy, you wanna play with it in a very um, safe and mild way. Yeah, yeah, it's, it, it comes brings to mind, and I love my Angelou, but it brings to mind, I had a friend way back in our 20s who, who was married to a guy, they had a very hot sexual relationship and they used to spice it up a lot. And one of the things they would do is go into a bar and flirt with other people in front of each other to create a little spice, but they wouldn't go all the way. And so that really fueled the passion and attraction without it going over the line. Is that, is yeah. that what you're talking about? I, that, like that? that is one of the ways, yeah. So um, Jack Morin wrote this great book called The Erotic Mind, and he describes desire as, or um, eroticism as desire plus obstacle equals erotic, right? Erotic energy. So that obstacle of the other and, and outside and the, the constraints we have on our relationship, the same ones that make us feel safe and held and contained and secure, those same constraints can actually be leveraged if we know how to play at that edge carefully. It's not simple though. And I don't think that people should just randomly decide to dive into the deep end because if you haven't done your work first, you're going to hurt yourself and others. It is playing with fire. But does that mean we shouldn't play with it? I don't think so. If we're adults and we are doing our work, I think that becoming aware of and, and touching our jealousy in a conscious way is a proactive way to deal with it. Because if all we ever do is wait for jealousy to sideswipe us, do we really know what to do with it? If we just wait and it pops up out of nowhere and it's going to anyways, jealousy is like a whack-a-mole. You push it down in one place and it pops up in another. Um, but if we wait, we're never going to really get the skill we need because we're going to stay in that reactive mind and we just react, we blow up. Sometimes we end a relationship that was actually really good and had a lot of possibility. Sometimes we'll hurt the other person in a way that lets us, leaves us scarred and we have so much work to do to repair that. Um, and sometimes we miss the opportunity to just sit with the feeling and know ourselves better. Just that. And as a, as a grown up now in my mid forties, I'm like, that has its own benefit um, outside of my relationship to others, my relationship to myself. What is jealousy? What does it want from me? Why is it here? Because I look at jealousy from an archetypal perspective, which means that I look at it as a universal pattern, something that we're never going to escape or cure or undo. Instead, we're going to learn to live with it and deal with it just the way we would grief or sadness. We might want to do away with those things, but in fact, they're inherent to life. I love how you describe that. And it's, it's so true that the older I get, the more I realize that we cannot push these emotions away. 
And the more we do, the more they pop up like the whack-a-mole. It's just, <laughs> you know, facing and turning towards is the way to really deal with the emotion. And its life is so much shorter when we turn towards rather than turn away. And absolutely, our society is like, don't feel, just think. <laughs> no, yep. no feelings. I mean, it's just, I, I remember as I started to do this work, just even sitting with my emotions and, and telling my mom, it's okay for me to feel worried. It's okay for me to feel nervous before I do something big, you know, telling me not to feel that is not really helpful. And, you know, she meant well, and I knew she meant well. And I told her that supporting me would look different than saying, don't feel. And I gave her the script to, you know, this would work better. Tell me, you got this. I believe in you, you know? Yes, (laughs) I I love that. I'm all for giving scripts. Yeah. 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 So speaking about scripts, let's say um, a real time situation where somebody feels jealousy and they want to, you know, they've gone through the, the process of what's going on for me. How do they then talk to their partner about the yeah. jealousy they feel? Yeah, it's, it's not a straightforward answer because sometimes people are feeling jealousy that comes up and I call it everyday jealousy. Um, and sometimes people are feeling what I call big jealousy or archetypal jealousy. And I would say that the approaches would be a little bit different. And the way that we can tell the difference is when we sit with the feeling and we allow it to, to be, and we don't try to banish it, does it dissipate? Does it, does it just sort of ease a little bit, even if it's still present, does it ease? And do we recognize that it's just part of being alive or does it actually grow stronger? Do we start feeling some really challenging emotions like anger or rage or um, despondency, despair, right? Like way past just sadness. If it brings up these other deeper emotions, then I think we're dealing with something beyond just a conversation. I think that's a time to look and say, you know, it's time for us to to think about um, a, a therapist, a coach, someone who is skilled at crafting a conversation about something this big, something that's overwhelming. But most of us, most of the time are experiencing jealousy, this everyday jealousy, that's just gonna, it's gonna ebb and flow like tides. And if you're experiencing that, then having a crafted conversation really, really helps. And when I say crafted conversation, I mean a a really strategically designed conversation where ahead of time, you make bullet points, three bullet points that you need to, to, to say to your partner. And before you start the conversation, you decide what outcome do I want? And you ask for it. So if you're going to talk about jealousy and let's say, let's say it's about someone fubbing you, they're using their phone all the time and you're feeling jealous theoretically about whoever's on the other end of the phone, but actually it's kind of the phone itself. Even it's not about like a specific, Hey, I think they're sexting someone. It's just the, the jealousy of the phone. If you know at the beginning of the conversation that what you want, what you need from your partner in that moment is to just feel heard, like, hey, this is coming up for me, then at the outset of the conversation, ask for that. I would like to feel heard and seen. And if you can bear it, I'd like to feel understood. And, and really, and for us to have a conversation about how this might look different, but at the bare minimum, I, I want you to just hear me out. And if I ask for that at the beginning of the conversation, and then I keep the conversation t- 
height, by using my bullet points, by using those like, okay, what are the three things that are coming up for me? Or maybe it's five, but it's not more than that. And I just have a very structured conversation. And when I get to the end of those, say again, like, so I'm so grateful that you were willing to listen. It won't always go exactly the way we want, but by setting ourselves up to have a planned conversation, we can offer our partner the gift of like, knowing what direction this is supposed to go in. If instead, let's say that instead we, we just walk in one day and we say, I can't believe you're doing this. And we start from that spot, right? We, we start off, they go defensive and now we're, we're nowhere, right? So this is about entering in. It's like um, stepping into a stream and then walking downstream with it gently and never not fighting against it because this is about coming together, not about pushing against. That's how I think that the first go at a conversation for, about jealousy goes. There might be other ones that have to follow because jealousy can be really challenging and may take many, many conversations to work on. Yeah, and I love the structure of this conversation and the gratitude appreciation for somebody yeah. listening is always a fantastic way to end a conversation that's difficult. I, I have found, and I once had a, I had a friend, a good friend, who always would answer every text and every phone call while we were together. And I sat with it for a long time before bringing it up because she is a person who's pretty fragile emotionally. And I finally said, you know, I really want to connect with you when we're together. And when you answer the phone, it just makes me feel disconnected. Can you, can you put your phone away while we're having coffee? And she, she kind of did, she got a little defensive. A couple of conversations I've had with her about that, that kind of thing have left her feeling like she had to protect herself. Yes. And, uh, and for a lot of people, they really feel like they cannot put their phone away. You know, I, yeah. I, um, it happens on dates where somebody has their phone out yes. and you, know, you have to ask for connection and for attention from right. somebody. So you would say that's that's jealousy of the phone? I like think, the phone is taking away can, your attention? I think it can feel like that. It can also inspire this really quick reaction to that imagined jealousy, whoever is on the other end of that interaction. Mm -hmm. So this isn't so much they're playing, like they're not playing Candy Crush. They're answering things, right? So they're actually responding to a third person. And that's why I think it it picks at the same thread that jealousy is, yeah. whether it's strictly jealousy or whether what we're feeling is abandoned. Well, abandonment is one of the feelings that hides in jealousy, right? And I would say that some people use that phone as well as a shield against intimacy. They, they're, they're afraid of that vulnerability and the, sh the phone is a wonderful shield. And I, I have caught myself using it myself. Absolutely. Even with my partner who is, I'm so comfortable with, I've caught myself using that as a shield. Scrolling is a wonderful way to not feel right. To move back towards thinking, except it's not really thinking. It's just passive nothingness. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. It's a, it's yeah. a challenge. Challenge. Yeah, we're living in a time where it's a huge challenge. And when this all started, and my kids were pretty, uh, they were like teenagers when they all started getting phones because this was, they're 26 and up. And um, I remember my youngest was the most on her phone and on her devices. And I was just yearning for dinner together. Just put the phones away. Let's connect. Let's talk and it was it was hard for her 
she would come home from school and run into her room and continue to be on her devices. And I would say, just dinner. I'll make your favorite dinner. What's your favorite dinner? And she'd go, okay, I'll have dinner with you. And then she'd come in, grab a piece of quiche and run into her room. Right. I right. mean, God, it was so hard to connect, but we're better now. But it's that kind of thing where, you know, the device is taking you away from a different, another relationship. And it's, yeah. it is easy. I mean, I have also found myself like when I was in a partnership where I wasn't happy and I would just start playing words with friends for the entire time we were together. Yep. Yeah. We're soothing, right? It's, it's like a baby with the satin edge of their blanket and they're just sort of passively soothing. And this is a complicated world, a world in which we all have soothing mechanisms that we rely on. And the phone becomes a challenging one because it can also take on this, um, addictive quality, I wouldn't call it addictive, but an addictive quality of, of getting, giving you a little something to keep roping you back in. So it's extra difficult. If somebody is self-soothing by say fiddling with their fingers, it doesn't have the same sort of connotation and it doesn't inspire our partners to think that we're looking at someone else. It doesn't, it doesn't make them think, I wonder if he's Tinder swiping right now. <laughs> You're right. That's a different problem. <laughs> <laughs> that is a totally different problem. And I've seen it come up in my group also with people who are even engaged to someone who hides messages and says it's nothing and the trust isn't there. Yeah. And I think, you know, and I've, I've also seen people who are like sneaking a peek at the phone when the person's out of the room and Oh my God. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> I'm just, I'm curious. I have two more questions for you. Sure. Curious about what what made you so interested in this topic? That was, that's my first question. So, okay. I picked jealousy because jealousy picked me when I was um, 33 years old. I fell in love overnight with someone who was not my partner. It was a shock. It was like, like just a splash of cold water. I had no idea. I was both excited and intrigued and terrified. And I wound up um, tossing... Uh, my whole, like tossing all the cards of my life into the air. There were a, a lot of costs, but one of the things that happened during that year was um, I got a tattoo on my back. I got a tattoo and it was a symbol, a kanji symbol that a friend from Japan had given me um, based on something that someone had said to me that I had an exuberance, a wildness, a passion for all of life. And the, the translator that I knew in Japan translated this and tattooed onto my back um, is the symbol for, for zeal, which is Greek for zealous, jealousy. This topic chose me. I have been through the ringer with jealousy and when it was time to choose what to study, it wouldn't leave me alone. So I decided to move toward it and it has worked. Moving toward jealousy has allowed me to befriend it and figure out what it can be used for in my life. And not just for me, but my little teeny piece of, of good in the world. And, you know, a lot of people get hurt in love stories that involve triangles, right? And I am, that's me too. I've, I have done my share of hurting, um, being the hurter as well as the hurt. And so I feel like moving towards jealousy was a move toward <sighs> making something beneficial out of all of that. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Did you end up with this guy? 
I did. We did. Have, yeah, I did. So I have known this man for my entire life. He first met me um, at a picnic when I was just weeks old. Um, and he was, he was my cousin's best friend. So he was around my whole childhood and um, nothing, nothing. He's 10 years older than me, nothing. And um, we were on a dance floor, utterly randomly and just boom, the lightning bolt, the whole thing. And those are the moments where we have decisions to make. And I might've stayed, it might not have ever become something, but the series of events led to that, that kind of cataclysm that it destroys things and it creates things. It destroyed one marriage then it destroyed another marriage. And yet um, my husband and I wound up together in, in an extraordinarily conscious way. And we've worked through so much scar <laughs> um, and it's been a blessing to have to work through those things. Yeah. So we've been married for seven years now and it's been well worth it. Yeah, well. I had a similar story actually, and mm -hmm. I won't go into the whole thing, but um, I was married for 20 years. I, I wasn't happy in my marriage and didn't really think anything else was available to me. And so I just kept staying, but we had some similarities in some ways that we connected, but in the most important ways, I didn't, didn't feel heard or seen and understood. Yeah. And uh, I went away for the summer and worked in a sleepaway camp. And while there, I was away from my husband. So it put me in a position of distance and being able to see things more clearly. And I met this guy who paid attention, who cared about me, who connected to a deeper part of me. And I didn't even know I was falling in love. I it was lust. It wasn't love um, for me, but it was at the beginning. It was, it was for up. me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was so totally shut down in that department that I just couldn't sleep and I couldn't eat and I didn't know why. And it was the catalyst for me to leave, but not for him. He was not a good person. He was not the right person, but he helped me to wake up to the rest of my life. And I thank him yeah. for that. Yeah. It was an awakening. And I think, you know, all of these things, again, consciously, we, my husband and I did have a very beautiful way of working through our stuff because he finally mm -hmm. had a wake up call to start working on himself when I told him I was done. And he's now, a, he's, one of his specialties is empathy training. And <laughs> this is a guy who could not stay a, in a conversation because he would just get shut down. That's so, it. You I never know where things going to go. <laughs> that's right. It's, there's just, it, it was really a miracle and a blessing yeah. of the divorce. And I think we needed to be together for those years and to become who we became. Yeah. And we needed to then move on to different partnerships. Right. And I think that not every relationship is meant to be forever. It's it's one of my one of my favorite things about polyamory is that there's a redefinition of what successful relationship is. It can't be about longevity anymore if you're talking about multiple relationships and they're not all meant to last. And so there's this redefinition to a success is can we transition between relation states gracefully with with care for each other? And that, yeah, I think monogamy can do that too. And we just have to, but we have to think about it. We have to actually act with care. And I didn't know how to do that during my divorce. Um, I wish I had. And instead it's been a lot of apologies <laughs> and a lot of like, yeah, oh, I wish I'd known that first. 
but the idea of just being able to transition gracefully, that's huge to me. Yeah, it is. It's, it's rare. Um, people are more conscious of it now. Yeah, but I think that many people wear the badge of longevity when the relationship is so yeah. crappy and it's not to me, you know, so for whatever reason, people want to stay and they want to feel safe in this relationship. And I mean, people who told me don't ever leave, you know, my husband and I don't really like each other, but we live separate lives. It's cool. You could do that too. And I'm like, I'm not you. I, <laughs> I got a lot of that, that life. Too. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yep. Yeah. And, and, you know, and now here we are and he's perfectly happy. He, he has a wonderful partner who matches him and I have a partner who matches me. Like we, like uh, we're, we're operating at the same vibration or whatever you want to call it. There we are. Sometimes the end isn't the end. It's the beginning. Yes, I agree. I think all ends are beginnings. Um, So as we come to the end or the beginning, uh, what are your final words of advice for someone who wants to go on their last first date? Yeah, so I think that when you wanna go on your last first date, it's great if you can, well, first off, figure out whether you have a process for dealing with your feelings, for dealing with big feelings like jealousy or anger or sadness, and then start looking for clues in these people that you're dating, do they have a process or are you going to become their therapist? Because you are more than that, right? Figure out if they have a process, ask them those questions that allow you to discern early. Are they showing up with, with, with their work sort of in place? It's never going to be finished, but are they in a process themselves? Because so often we, um, we women become, yeah, uh, a pro bono therapist in residence. And uh, we're, we're worth more than that. Um, so yeah, if we're out there dating in that, in that heterosexual world in particular, that's, that's my pro tip. Figure out whether they've got a process. That's <laughs> uh, so important. And I, I'm so prone to, um, I used to therapize every guy I dated because I would see all the things that they needed to work on. Don't do that anymore. But, uh, you know, I'm watching my son and his relationship and he sees the issues and he says, it's not my job to fix it. And I said, I'm so happy you say that because it is such an advanced thing to know that at his age. Yeah. And I wish everybody really would understand that it's codependency when we think we're we're the ones who have to save and rescue other people. It's just not going to work. It's not going to work. You're you're choosing then. You're choosing a very particular kind of relationship. I had to step away from that choice. It's not easy. No, it's not easy. Especially if you're a healer, you know you want to fix everybody. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, ideally, you know, somebody's fixing themselves and they they're aware, and then you support each other. You right? I like that you said it's not. You're not all finished. Nobody's all finished. We're all in a process, but have a process. You know, I meet a lot of men who do not have a process, who are, you know, I, it's just the way it is. I don't have any friends since my divorce and my wife died and I'm sad and I'm always sad and, and I'm looking for somebody and I don't cook food for my son. I'm like, go away. Right. So yeah. It's, it's ownership, just, right? They have to own where they actually are and decide yeah. to have more. You, ha- you yeah. have to decide for yourself to have more, to be more. Yes. Not everybody wants to. I have four sons, so I take it upon myself. It is my job to make sure simply that they are capable of recognizing they need a process. 
So far, so Love good. <laughs> good. We'll it's see. hard not to when you live in your house. Right? Fingers. <laughs> uh, Jolie, this is such a great conversation. I really appreciate it. And I know you have a free gift for our audience. I Can do. you tell us what that is? Yeah. So I have something called the Curiosity Date. Um, it's a downloadable and um, it was designed to have people go on a date either with someone you're already seeing someone you're married to even, or someone you're just getting to know um, that revolves around sharing rather than simply doing the same activity, actually sharing yourself. So um, they can find that at JolieHamilton.com. That's Jolie, J-O-L-I and Hamilton, just like the musical. And um, yeah, it's free to download. Awesome. That sounds like a fantastic gift. And I appreciate your gift to us to share your knowledge and wisdom with our community. I love this deep, deep dive into a topic that very few people really understand and are able to see as complexly and as, as widely and compassionately as you do. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk about jealousy. Really <laughs> I know that sounds weird, but it really is. So thank you yeah. for the opportunity. Oh. And thank you everyone for watching and listening. And if you love our show, please rate and review us. Every rating and review helps more people and more people listen and more people find us. And we hope you go on your last first date very soon. <laughs> <laughs>